0: All right, if you would, open to the book of Matthew as we continue our series. If you would, turn to Matthew chapter 1 and let's begin reading together in verse 18. Follow along as I go through our passage this morning. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, the beginning of Matthew's gospel is one of the most familiar passages in Scripture the birth narrative of Jesus Christ, better known as the Christmas story. But, but in this story, Matthew reveals so much more than a holiday moment. He's writing about the wonder of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Now, you look around, and there are many wonders in our world. The Great Wall of China, Stonehenge, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and all these other man-made wonders and and accomplishments that that are written about in, in history books. But the wonder of the world that surpasses them all is the wonder of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, an accomplishment that only God could do. All of salvation history, all of salvation history hinges on this one magnificent moment as it it begins the the story of of how God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ and and what happens to men and women when they come in contact with the Son of God. In meeting Christ, lives are are deeply affected and radically transformed, not not by a teaching, not by a miracle, but by a person who people recognize as the Son of God. And you know, that's, that's Matthew's story. Matthew isn't some cold commentary or just historical narrative. Oh, it's, it's far more than that. This, this is Matthew's so, story, his salvation story. When he came in contact with Jesus, his life was transformed. He was a a publican, and he was a tax collector, and he cheated his own people to become wealthy. He was considered a traitor by his own people, and he was hated by them all. There there was no class of people in all of Palestine that were more despised than tax collectors, Matthew being one of them. And yet yet Matthew tells his story in chapter 9, and he tells it in a sense like this. When Jesus passed by me, what did he see? He didn't see me as a despised tax collector, a hated man, and a traitor, but rather a man with a, with a dead heart and a broken soul. He knew that I was a sinner, and he knew what I had done. He saw all that I was, and yet he saw as he passed by me my greatest need, his forgiveness, and his salvation. And that, Matthew says, is why I left everything to follow Jesus. And don't we all have the same story? At the beginning of his gospel, Matthew looks back with awe and wonder at the miracle of the incarnation because he knows what it meant for him personally. He has experienced the miracle and the meaning of the incarnation in his own life. And he writes with that in mind, with that in the background. Now, in this passage, Matthew is making a case for the supernatural, miraculous birth of Jesus because in his day, many disputed that miracle. Some accused Jesus of being an illegitimate child. In John 8, 41, they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality, alluding to the fact that Jesus was. So listen, even after the resurrection, many struggled to believe in the incarnation, but Matthew defends it by describing how it came to be. God himself did it. It wasn't a man-made wonder. It was a God-made wonder. This miracle happened through God, the Holy Spirit, a a wonder only God was capable of creating, of doing. Matthew wants his readers to know that they, they must believe in the incarnation or the gospel makes no sense. The gospel has no reality behind it. There is no gospel without the incarnation. There is no cross without the incarnation. There is no resurrection without the incarnation. There is no ascension, no Pentecost, no filling of the Holy Spirit. There is no salvation without the incarnation. And Matthew wants to show us the wonder of it all. He wants his readers to know they they must believe in the incarnation or the gospel makes no sense. J.C. Ryle said, it is enough for us to know that with him who made the world, nothing is impossible. We may safely rest in the words of the Apostles' Creed. Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. That's Matthew's telling of the story. Now, in these eight verses this morning, Matthew lays out for us the crucial foundation of the gospel by describing for us two things. He describes for us the miracle of the incarnation and he describes for us the meaning of the incarnation. So so that we might believe in Jesus Christ, the son of God. So let's look first at the, the miracle of the incarnation. Now in, in Matthew 1, Verses two through seventeen, Matthew details Jesus' Jesus's lineage, his his genealogy, his his royal heritage. He he's from the royal line of David, having been adopted by Joseph. Matthew makes it clear that that Jesus is not Joseph's natural son. When verse eighteen, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way: when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So so Joseph's not the natural father. Matthew begins the emphasis with this, that, listen, this is is a miracle. This This is something wonderful. He does not have a natural father, but He comes from the royal line of David because he's adopted by Joseph. And we will read that in just a few moments. As Jesus is named by Joseph, which was a responsibility of the father, in the very end of this, in verse 25, and he called his name Jesus, which, as his father, he would do. Now, Joseph, Matthew doesn't focus here, Interestingly, on the birth details of Jesus, he focuses on the miraculous conception, how it, how it all took place, and in verse eighteen, we see that Mary and Joseph are betrothed, and their their betrothal in these ancient near eastern times their their betrothal is much more than what we call engagement, much, much more. if you look. Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and her husband, Joseph. And the the angel tells Joseph, hey, take Mary as your wife. They're considered husband and wife, even though they have yet to physically consummate the marriage. Their their betrothal is so much more. A betrothal in these days lasted about a year, and then the marriage ceremony was held, and then the marriage was physically consummated, and only death or divorce could separate a betrothed couple. And in a stunning turn of events, we read here, Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. She was found to be with child. How did did Joseph find this out? I'm I'm assuming that her pregnancy was showing. We read in Luke that the only person Mary tells about her, her being conceived by the Holy Spirit, her pregnancy, is her cousin Elizabeth. So how how did Joseph find out? And imagine what Joseph is experiencing at that moment. Mary is pregnant. And and Matthew tells us how she became pregnant. She did not conceive her child illegitimately in some adulterous affair, but by the Holy Spirit. But, but But Joseph doesn't know that, not yet at least. But what we see here, God is, God is at work keeping his promise. God is at work fulfilling his prophecies and bringing to fruition all that was predicted in Scripture. A virgin conceives by the Holy Spirit, not by any human means where the son of, son of Adam's sin was passed down. Jesus is conceived and he is born in a way that is absolutely unique and necessary. Here's the most miraculous and greatest moment in history. Without this miraculous conception, without this happening, there is no gospel. It's the uniqueness of this miracle that makes Jesus' birth and his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension possible. It sets everything up. And what an incredible mystery this is. And it requires faith on our part. We We must, we, we should be in awe and wonder of how God has fulfilled his eternal plan to save men and women from their sin and its consequences. And we should not be in awe and wonder of it one month out of the year. December is not the month of awe and wonder. Listen, Matthew's entire gospel hinges on one Brief statement She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Here here is the fulfillment of the glory and goodness and mercy and love and power of God. And Matthew wants to be clear to his readers, to us, to the readers who were at this day when he wrote this, it was primarily a Jewish audience, but to us today, he, he writes this that we're clear either the eternal Son of God entered the world our world in this way or he did not and if he did not he's illegitimate he's an illegitimate child born from some secret union with joseph or another man and if this is true how can we ever look to christ as our savior that's how important the incarnation is if he was born of fornication how could he possibly be considered our sinless substitute sin would have been passed down from him from the first adam he would not be the second adam and this is why the miraculous conception is so crucial to our faith and so in verse 118 before they came together she was with child from the holy spirit brothers and sisters that 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 everything hinges on that sentence right there what a what a marvelous and mighty work and beginning to the life of christ God, God in his eternal wisdom and power bypasses the human taint and stain of sin by bringing forth his son with a human mother, for sure, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, making Jesus fully God and fully man. The God, catch this, the God who existed before creation, who who flung the stars into heaven? The God who created comes to earth in human flesh. The wonder of that. The wonder of that. This is this is why we sing at Christmas time. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, he is with us. Now, there was there was nothing we could do to ever restore our relationship with God. He He, as we see here in Matthew's gospel, he takes the initiative by sending Jesus to live in our world, to rescue us from our sin. What a marvel of grace that is. And yet, it was also for Joseph, A moment of of great anguish and stress. Joseph becomes aware that his betrothed wife is pregnant and Mary has absolutely no way of proving her innocence. No way whatsoever. Verse, Verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, and here's a a literary device that Matthew uses quite frequently, behold. It's not just, hey, behold. It's behold. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared. How many angels have appeared to you? How often have you stood in your bedroom in the middle of the night and go, behold? No, and this is what happens here. Behold, an angel of the Lord. Now, can you imagine Joseph's emotions, finding out that his betrothed wife is pregnant and they have not consummated the marriage. He's feeling betrayed most likely, Angry, confused, and fearful, and broken. But as Matthew tells us, Joseph is a righteous and godly man. Joseph being a righteous man, a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame. What a kind man he is. He is a man that knows the scripture. He's a righteous man. He's a godly man. And he knows that he must obey the scripture. And according to Deuteronomy 22, if Mary has had relations during their betrothal, the consequence of that is death. He, more than is supposed to put her away, he's to, he's to put her to death for her indiscretion, for her sin. If she's committed adultery, that's her lot. But Joseph wasn't just a righteous man, Matthew tells us. He's also a merciful one. A merciful one. Which is also a picture of the mercy of God in our lives. And he seeks to put her away quietly. And as he considers his options, he's, hes I don't know how many hours or days was was he on his knees in prayer was he reading scripture but he was he was considering he was waiting when he's considering his options through these anxious days god once again intervenes in human affairs in verse 20 behold an angel of the lord appears to him in a dream joseph son of david now again here's this just quick aside He calls Joseph the son of David. He establishes Joseph's royal lineage from the the lion, the tribe of Judah. And and that is Jesus's lineage. And so we see how this is all working together. And he tells him, hey, don't be fearful to take Mary as your wife. Because things. I I am assuring you as an angel of God, things are not as they seem. And often that is true in our own lives. We're waiting on God to intervene. Whether it's a, a physical trial, a financial trial, a relational situation, a difficulty at work, just something going on in our lives, and we're we're waiting on God and we're anxious and, and we don't know what we're gonna do. And God intervenes as He does again. And again, in our lives, God intervenes and the angel speaks to him and says, Mary has not been unfaithful. She did not sin. The woman, the woman you love, you can still marry. She can still be your wife. She's been true to you. And in the following verses, we see how this marvelous story continues on. Joseph comes face to face. With the miracle of the incarnation that Mary conceives by the Holy Spirit, because God is at work. God is fulfilling his prophecies. He's fulfilling his purposes. He's fulfilling his predictions. He is doing it all. He is he is bringing salvation to mankind through the incarnation of his son, Jesus Christ. That is the miracle of the incarnation. But Matthew doesn't stop there. He wants us to know the meaning of the incarnation. In verses 21 through 25, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. This is what the angel tells Joseph, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew began his gospel with this genealogy to show his readers, particularly the Jewish ones how God had been working since Adam and Eve's tragic rebellion in the garden. Adam's rebellion catapulted men and women into a world of sin and suffering where they were were cut off from God and they were driven out of the garden. And like Adam and Eve, we are all fugitives. We are all wanderers, even as Devin said this morning. But the incarnation changed everything. And it changed in a baby named Jesus. There there is more meaning behind this name than any name in history. It's not just a name, but it's a description of the acts of God that bring about redemption by all that Jesus did living out that name. What what does that name mean? What does it mean to us? J.C. Ryle says this in his commentary. As he speaks of the incarnation, he says, This is his, speaking of Jesus, special office. He saves them from the guilt of sin by washing them in his atoning blood. He saves them from the dominion of sin by putting in their hearts the sanctifying spirit. He saves them from the presence of sin when he takes them out of this world to rest with him. He will save them from all the consequences of sin when he gives them a glorious body at the last day. Blessed are Christ's holy people. From sorrow, cross, and conflict, they are not saved. But they are saved from sin forevermore. They are cleansed from guilt by Christ's blood. They are made fit for heaven by Christ's Spirit. This is salvation. John three seventeen, John in his gospel writes, For God did not, and Jesus saying, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. Through Him, this is exactly what the name of Jesus means. This is what the incarnation means. We are saved from sin. But you know what? Matthew doesn't stop there. There's also there's another name that he brings to our attention. And all this, verse twenty-two, took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's a name with a promise. It's a name that describes both his human and godly nature. It's a name that gives us hope and assurance that God is with us. God is always with us. You know, many many people today believe in a heresy called deism. And simply, deism teaches that God exists but remains distant from his creation. A modern spin on deism proposes that God set the world in motion and then set back to watch it like a clockmaker. Matthew dispels that notion with a powerful quote, this powerful quote from Isaiah 7.14. He both confirms the virgin birth in this quote and the meaning of that birth. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus not only came to save us, but he also promised to always be with us. He is Emmanuel. He's never left you. If you've come to faith in Christ, he has never left you. And Matthew ends, Matthew ends his gospel with a promise. If Matthew, in Matthew 28, Lo, I am always with you to the end of the age. He's with us at every moment. We're never alone. Even when you feel alone, you are not alone. Even when God seems distant, he is near. Even when you're wondering where he is, he is right there. He's with us when we gather together. Where two or more are gathered in their name, together in his name, he is in their midst. He promises in Hebrews 13 to never leave us nor forsake us. He is Emmanuel. He is Jesus, your Savior, and he is Emmanuel, God with you. And God is with us today, God is with us tomorrow. God is with us throughout the, all the years that lie ahead of us. And he is with us when we go through the valley of the shadow of death. We'll always know he is with us. And when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we know we will be with him forever. Listen, Jesus grew up. He became a man. He lived a sinless life. He suffered on the cross, taking our sin upon himself as our substitute. And then, rejected by his Father, he died in our place that we might no longer be cut off from God, but restored back into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. These are the facts of the Incarnation. Now, if if you're not a Christian, these facts are for you right now. They are here to tell you about God's saving work through his son, Jesus Christ, and how you can be saved from the ravages and turmoil and consequence of sin and its destructive nature. And if you are a Christian, this story of the incarnation just reminds you of the goodness of the gospel, that you have been saved by Christ and you belong to him and he will always be with you. Listen, here's in a nutshell what Matthew is telling us. God has come to us. The miraculous conception. God is for us. His gift of salvation. And God is with us. Emmanuel, eternally dwelling. That, when the curtain was torn in two, man's relationship with God, the, the, the way was opened. Christ came. And he reconciled us to the Father by the shedding of his blood and his death on the cross. Listen, may we all marvel, not just in December, at the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, let's let's marvel every day. Let's, Let's consider the wonder and grace of the gospel in this narrative that we see. This is a wonderful story of what God has done for us. May that story be with you all the time. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for doing it in such a way that is clear that he is God the Son He is God in flesh. He is human, and yet he is God. Lord, thank you for making that clear to us through this wonderful gospel. Thank you for reminding us of that gospel. Lord, help us each and every day to remain in awe and wonder that you sent your Son to die for us, that we might be saved, and that we might be with him for all eternity. In Christ's name.